My goodness gracious, God is showing off today, isn't he? He is doing some powerful stuff in this place. I love what the Lord is doing. Let's just give him another big thank you, God. Thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. Lord, it's our heart and our prayer that you continue to move powerfully here like you are, not just here, Lord, but move powerfully in every church in this country so that people are impacted by the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Y'all are looking good this morning. Looking good. Everybody watching online, hopefully you're looking good, but it's, it's probably fun watching in your PJs with no makeup on. I get that. Um, <laughs> hey, if you will, uh, remember to hit that like and share button so we can reach as many people as we can. If you're a guest here today, my name is Josh, uh, lead pastor here at Eastgate, which means that I am the lead servant here at Eastgate Church. And I tell you what, this has kind of been a powerful service today, uh, but I got to keep my word on something before we get into this message today. From time to time, uh, I'll invite people. Like, I invite people like crazy to church. And nobody is ever going to out-invite me to church, I guarantee you. Um, so I'm inviting like 20, 30 people a week sometimes, you know, and, and working it hard trying to get people in service. So we've got somebody here that I made a promise to, and I told them that if they would be in service today, I would do a happy dance on the stage for them, and it would go out online. So should I keep my word or not? All right. Um, so, Kylie, what do I do? What do I do? I just do it. Need, I need chicken dance. Somebody said chicken dance. Bark, 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 like that. So, um, I need a beat, though. I need a beat. So, let's clap. clap. Happy dance, happy dance, happy dance. Woo! Okay, that's all you get. That's all you get. That's all you get. That's definitely coming back at Christmas time. I can promise you that. So that was one of the worst dances I feel like I've ever done in my life. Did it come across that way? Yeah, somewhere like, yeah, it was horrible. There we go. That was just for you, secret guest. <laughs> Happy to pay the pastor dancing for people in the church house. I've never, man, I'd do just about anything short of sin to get somebody into church, I guarantee you. How about you? So it is all worth it. But uh, if you're a guest here today... Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We always say here, once you come through those doors, you're not a guest anymore. You're family. At least that's our goal, and uh, we hope you felt that way this morning. Well, let's dive into this message so that I can get you guys out of here on time so y'all can tell some people about Jesus this afternoon. We're in week two of a series on finances, and not just finances, but God's plan for finances, because you know God's got a better plan than us on his finances. And last week, we just talked about just basic budgeting wisdom. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go check out the, the replay of the live stream or check out the podcast and get caught up on what we're doing because we dug a lot of wisdom out of the word of God on what we should do with our finances and great financial strategies to get us in a place of success so that we're not always behind the eight ball financially. You know, that's not God's plan for your life, Okay. Um, we're not talking about prosperity gospel stuff. That's just a bunch of baloney. And we're not talking about poverty gospel either because that's equally as much baloney. But we believe that God has given us a solid plan for us to operate with wisdom in our finances. And so that's what we're looking at um, during this series. And today we're going to be talking about one of, I mean, just the most set-you-free principle that is in the Word of God when it comes to finances. It's something that we have an advantage. It gives us an advantage that the, word, the world does not have when it comes to finances. You understand that? As a believer, as a believer, 
you get a jump start financially that people in the world do not get. If, if you unlock it and let it do its work in your life. Amen? So God's word operates on our obedience and then we walk into his promise. We obey and then he keeps his promise. Amen? Obedience unlocks blessing and the promise of God. Even with salvation, we've got to be obedient and repent and ask Jesus into our heart. And once we do that and we're obedient, then we get the gift of salvation. It's our obedience unlocks God's blessing and promise in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about a game changer in our lives when it comes to finances. We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about tithing. All right. Now, depending on your church background, you've either got excitement building up in you or you've got walls coming up right now. And I would encourage you, if walls are coming up, to hit pause on that because probably you've had a bad experience in church. Probably you've been exposed to some teaching that does not line up with the Word of God. I'm telling you, this is one... If, if you apply this principle to your life, it does so much. Not only does it release the blessing of God on your life like never before, but it allows you to operate at a level of peace that is unbelievable. I talk to people all the time, and people are just stressed out about their finances. And God never intended for us to be stressed out about our finances. Never, never, especially today where inflation is through the roof and everything costs more than it used to. People are wigging out because the dollars aren't going as far as we're used to them going. And, and, and bills, if you've noticed, your bills are getting a little more expensive because everybody's adding on to cover those extra expenses. And people are freaking out. Pastor Josh, I don't know how I'm going to pay for gas. I don't know how I'm going to get all the groceries. And I don't know if I can do all of that and still give like I've been giving but the word of God has not changed one bit even if the world changes God's word does not change he still keeps his promise and if we apply the truth of his word to our lives we still reap the same benefit let the world burn down God's word is not going to change ever ever that should be freedom to us today so this is a powerful principle and it's a spiritual discipline that does a lot in our lives and a spiritual discipline is an intentional behavior with a supernatural benefit. An intentional behavior with a supernatural benefit. Like, for instance, um, reading the Word of God. Okay, that's an intentional behavior, but it has a supernatural benefit in our lives. The Bible says that the Word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It gets up inside of us and it begins to do a work inside of us and changes. So we, we go through the act of reading it and then it comes alive and does what it's supposed to do and we reap a supernatural benefit by putting the Word of God in our heart. Amen? Worship is the same thing. We experienced this this morning. Worship is a deliberate act where we are just taking a posture of praise to God and opening up our heart and saying, God, Regardless of what's going on in my life, you're still worthy of all the praise, and I'm going to give it to you whether today's a great day or a sorry day. I'm going to give the praise to you. And the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So while we're lifting up his name, something begins to stir in the spiritual realm, and the presence of God invades the situation that we're in and begins to work things out to our good. God, if we get encouraged, we get it healed, we get full of passion and life and encouragement like we didn't have before. 
doing an act, and it produces a supernatural benefit in our lives. Prayer is the same thing. We go in and pray, and we begin to open up our heart and just talk to God about life and talk about the stuff that we're going through and inviting him into the situation. And what happens is, listen, as we pray and seek after him, we think we're changing his heart on a matter and getting him to do what we want, but what really happens is he begins to change our heart and line us up with his word, and we get a supernatural benefit from that act of spiritual discipline in our lives. You get it? So tithing works the same way. It's an act of discipline on our part as an act of worship to God, but when we do it, we unlock supernatural benefits that the word of God says that we can have. Now, how many of you are excited about that? Man, give me all the supernatural benefit I can get. Give me all the blessing of God that I can get. And this is the game changer because if we put God first in our lives, then everything else seems to fall in line. You know what I mean? If we put God first in our finances, everything begins to fall in line behind it. And when you talk about tithing, usually you run into different groups of people. And uh, the first group is the group of people that says, man, I love this stuff. I'm for it. I see the benefit and I see God working in my life. Is anybody in here like that today? Yeah? And me too. I learned a long, long time to tithe and to give to the Lord, and I immediately, I immediately saw the benefit. I have never seen anybody that's been tithing for like 5 or 10 or 15 years. I've never seen anybody that's committed to it come back and say, wow, this junk just doesn't work. Right. Never seen it. And over 25 years of ministry, y'all forget I just said that. I haven't been ministering that long, so this is back. forget I just said that. I have never seen anybody say this stuff doesn't work. Anybody that legitimately puts God to the test sees that God always comes through. Then you got a group of people that, um, that say, well, I've heard about tithing, but I don't know exactly what it's all about. You know, what is it about? Why do we do it? Where did this stuff even come from? And you ever had questions like that? I have questions like this all the time. Like, you can't tell me something and then me not investigate it because at first I want to know if it's the truth. And secondly, I want to know where it all came from and, and all of this stuff. And, and um, the principle of tithing is actually very powerful. It's very powerful the way that the Lord set it up. So I want to talk to you for just a little bit before we get into the rest of this stuff today about um, what tithing is, why we do it, and, and, and what this whole deal is about. Is this something that the American church just came up with? Or how long has this been around? You know. So we're going to navigate through some of this. And my goal is to equip you to be able to explain this to somebody else. But I want to answer some questions that you may have had about this principle, though, because a lot of times in churches, pastors just, they pull back on the throttle a little bit, and they don't go all in with digging into this because they're scared to death that somebody's going to receive this stuff the wrong way and get offended because you're talking about money in church. That is the biggest baloney I've ever heard of in my life. Since when was it never okay to talk about money in church? You know what I mean? Uh, the financial systems that we had, who do you think created all of that stuff? Think about it. Who, who created all this stuff? Hey, it's all God's, right? So he knows best what to do with his stuff. He created all this stuff. I think he's got a better edge on it than, than us. I think it's crazy to be nervous about talking about this in life. Money's a part of all of our lives. Anybody in here living great without money right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? So many are like, depends on what day of the week it is, Pastor Josh. <laughs> I, I may or may not have the money. I totally get that. Uh, but, but you see, it's... 
it's a part of all of our lives. And if it's a big part of our lives, don't you think that God has a lot to say about it and he wants to be involved in it? I think pastors fall short in equipping their congregations sometimes with regard to this because they can't get over the fear that's inside of them. And so we're just going to have an honest talk about this this morning because I want to equip you. I want you to understand, and I want you to know. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, first we're going to jump back to the Old Testament. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, if there's, uh, we're going to be all over the place today looking at this because if you'll see that it's a constant theme throughout the Bible. It's just not locked into a specific address. It's a theme throughout the Bible. Um, but what is tithing? How did it all come? What did it all come from? How did it all come about? So this is a, a good scripture to use as a breakdown of what tithing is. Um, this is the Lord speaking to uh, the people of Israel. He says, you must set aside a tithe. Everyone say tithe. tithe. Set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth. So one-tenth, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. So set aside a tithe. Tithe means tenth, okay? A tenth. Some people, they give $20 a week, and they say, well, I'm tithing. No, you're giving $20. A tithe is actually 10% of the increase that God brings into your life, okay? 10%. Um, so the Lord says, I want you to set aside a tithe of your crops. Now, crops is key because back then, um, what they had was called an agricultural culture, okay? They grew everything and they raised everything. And if you had a lot of cattle, you were rich. If you had a lot of crops, you were rich, okay? So crops and cattle and, and sheep and all that, that was money back then for them. And so what the Lord is saying is I want you to bring in a tithe of your increase. For us today, it would be of your income, a tithe, and bring it to me every year. Every paycheck, when its increase comes in, you bring the offering to me, a tithe and a tenth. Now, have you ever wondered why we give a tenth or the Lord asks for a tenth? Oh, I ask all these questions. Like, why, why a tenth? Why not 5%? Why not 20%? Why not 50%? You know, why, why a tenth? Well, in Scripture, in Scripture, when you study, you will find that when you see a tenth used, it is a portion of of the whole set aside as a representative of the whole. So God says, I want you to bring in a tenth. I don't want you to bring in everything that you own. I want you to bring in a representative of everything that you own. We're going to call it a tithe, call it a tenth. Okay, so in bringing that tenth to me, you are saying, Lord, this is a representative of everything that I have. And this 10%, I'm saying, all I have is yours. You're in control of everything that I have. I'm honoring you by bringing this back to you. And I'm saying, you, you got that place in my heart. You're in control of my finances. All that I own symbolically is yours. That what happens. Like if you look in other places in the Old Testament, you'll see that God punished a tenth of Israel and sometimes a tenth of Israel's enemies as a representative of the whole. You know, in old school, when the armies would come out and they would do battle, um, they would send a champion out to represent both armies. And they would do this so that they could reduce casualties. You wouldn't have to have tens of thousands of people die. You could just have two people fight to the death. That's what was happening in the battle, like when David and Goliath fought. 
Goliath was out there as a champion representing the Philistines, and he was trying to get somebody to come out and represent the Israelites. So the champion comes out symbolic as a representative of the entire army. Your tithe is a symbolic representative of the fact that you are just yielding and submitting everything that you have to God, giving it back to him and saying, Lord, this isn't everything, but it's symbolic of everything because all I have belongs to you. Now, isn't that cool? That's cool. A lot of people don't realize that. It's not something that was just created in church culture. God established it for this reason. And he uh, not only said bring a tenth, but he gave us a place to bring the tenth or the tithe too. So he says, a tenth of all the crops you harvest each year, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. So um, back in the day, it either would have been Solomon's temple that they bring the tithe to, or it would have been the temple of Herod later in Jesus' day where they brought their tithe to. Today, we bring our tithe to the local church, okay? To the church that God has called you to. That's the place of worship. That's where you bring it to. I knew it, pastor. This is the big scheme right here. We all bring in our money, and it goes to the church. I knew I'd catch you for this day it was over with. Busted you. Busted you. Do you think it's groundbreaking theology to think that God would want us to honor him by bringing our tithe to the church so that his church could be supplied to reach the world for Jesus? Does that seem like an evil conspiracy theory? Does that sound like a crazy Ponzi scheme? You know what I mean? It's a pyramid scheme, these churches. No, I think God's pretty smart. I think he's pretty smart. He says, I'm going to use your act of worship with what you have to fund my temple, make sure that it runs properly, and to make sure that the temple is able to impact those that are in need around it. God had a pretty good plan. He used the church to, oper to fund the operation of the church so that he could pour more blessing back into the church so that the church's reach could go even further into the community as his blessing increases. That's sounds like an awesome plan to me. So he said, I want you to bring the tithe into the place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat there in his presence. I read that, and that threw me off. Eat there in his presence. What does that even mean? So I started digging. So what do you want eat there in his presence? Here's what they used to do. So they would bring their offerings to the temple. Check this out. And they would do it as a family. So families would travel together to give to the Lord. See, this wasn't a mom and dad thing. This is a generational thing that the families would do so that the children could see how the blessing of God operated in their lives and how good God was. And that if you honor him, he would pour his blessings back out. So it was a generational thing. They would travel to the temple and they would give their offering. And, and part of it, part of it would go to the temple um, for, for the priests and the function of the temple and reaching the, the needy in the area, a portion of it would go onto the altar and be burnt. So you would come up in to, to give your offering. The priest would take some of it back um, into the storehouse, and then they would throw this stuff on this altar and the fires cooking and burning the meat and the, the vegetables and the harvest and all that. Like It was like the first church barbecue. 
That's what it was like. That's why I'm wondering sometimes if the Bible just wasn't written specifically for people in the South. I get this, man. Bring all this stuff. We're going to throw it on the grill and let it cook for a little while and let our grill, oh my goodness, a grill offering to the Lord sounds pretty good to me. You know what I'm talking about? So that's what they would do. And then the families were allowed to take a portion of what was on the altar and pull it out for themselves so that the family could gather together and have a meal straight off the, the altar from what they had just offered to the Lord. Listen, their giving provided for them in that moment. It was symbolic. Everything God does has depth to it. So he's saying, I want your family to gather together and understand that what you give feeds you. What you give sows in and provides back for you. And so as a family, they would sit around and they would enjoy that meal together. It's amazing. Amazing. Now, sometimes we have barbecues here, but it's not quite the same as what they're doing here. But, but here's, here's the deeper principle, though. When we give, it funds the ministry that feeds us spiritually. Okay? And I hear a lot of people a lot of times say, well, I'm just not getting that much out of church here lately, Pastor. And maybe the problem is you're not putting much in. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's that we're not putting enough in. Maybe the cure for that is to step up and get involved and begin to participate. And you might see that you begin to receive more than you are now. You know what I mean? They don't give trophies to people in the stands. They give trophies to players on the field in the game. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want the reward, get in the game. Get in the game. But I think it's powerful. Um, so, so it's an act of worship where we give back to the Lord what he's given to us. To us. And I think that it's something that we should be teaching our families, parents. I think it's something that we should be establishing in the hearts of our children. I do this with my kids, and I try to teach them, you know, to, like with Abby, my youngest right now, we're working on her. Abby, every dollar you get a dime goes to, who goes where? To Jesus. Okay, you got it. You got it. Why? And she'll mess up. So that we can do something for BGMC. No, that's not, that's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Why do we do it? We do it as an act of worship to the Lord. Symbolic. Here's a tent to represent everything that I have that it's submitted to you and you're in control and not me. And not me. So, so that's kind of a little bit of why we do it, what tithing really symbolic, symbolically represents, why we do it at church. And uh, I think God set up a great system. Another question that comes up, another group of people rather that we run into is that you got the excited people, you got the people that don't really understand it. And then you have the people that, that just say, Pastor, I would love to do that, but I just don't think that I can. I don't think that I can. I don't have enough money to, to, to tithe like that. I, I don't have the resources to do it. I get that. I get that. Um, I used to be there too. I used to be there too. Um, but I got to the place in my walk with God where I began to trust him to be the provider instead of wearing myself out to provide for myself. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of stress we put on ourselves regarding finances. It's his job to provide. It's our job to be obedient, but it's his job to provide. And jump into Matthew uh, chapter 6. Here's a great block of scripture that deals with this. There's a lot of people stressed out over money right now. A lot of people experiencing anxiety 
over money right now. That was never God's intention. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Those thoughts shot through your mind here lately. How am I going to pay this? How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to provide for this? Well, the power bills do. And, and I'm not saying that you be irresponsible and not do what you're supposed to do to be a good steward over your, your bills and your finances. But at the end of the day, it's God's responsibility to stretch the dollars and provide, not ours. You understand? So don't freak out over all of this stuff. Now look what he says. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's a hard line that's being drawn in the sand scripturally. People in the world freak out over this stuff. People in the world lose sleep over their finances. People in the world lose their peace because they can't get their kids the new shoes that they want or they're not going to be able to make all the car payment this month. People in the world freak out over that stuff. He says, um, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. So that's the condition, all right? Put me first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, okay? Put him first in all areas of your life. And then look what he says, and he will give you everything you need. That is awesome. Why would we not want to participate in that? is don't lose your mind worrying about stuff that you can't control. You focus on putting me first and make sure I'm first in your finances and every area of life. And if you will do that, hey, baby, the bill is on me. I will provide what you need. That's an awesome plan. That's an awesome plan because that releases so much peace into our lives. Let me ask you a question and kind of prime a little bit. This is a little pointed because I know some of you came in here freaking out a little bit about money. But here's a question. Uh, do you think God can save your soul but can't meet your earthly needs? It just funny to me how some of us in different seasons will say, I thank God for my salvation, for the forgiveness of all of my sins. Everybody say, all my sins. Think about that. I know how jacked up y'all used to be before Jesus. I heard some of y'all's testimony. Some of y'all were buck wild crazy, all right? You're trusting God to wash all that crazy away in the blood of Jesus, and you can't trust him for a power bill? You know what I mean? So, so he's got it under control. He's got it under control. We've got to trust him. Here's the issue. It's not that we don't think that he can. It's that we don't want to give up control. And that's the heart of this message today. We've got to give up control. Some of us trust our shoulders more than we trust God's strength. I'm going to carry the financial burden on my shoulder. I'm going to put in the extra overtime to make And there's nothing wrong with working hard for what you have. But there's a difference between that and being a slave to a system. Understand what I'm saying? Control. Who's in control of your finances? Is it you or is it God? That's big. That's big. And we can find out right now by going to your bank account statement and looking. The Bible says where your treasure is or your heart will be also. And if we see that we're putting God first, then we know God's in control. But if we see bill, 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 shoes, makeup, 
uh, NFL package, if we see whatever else on there right now, Falcon season tickets, but nothing coming to the Lord. You know, we see all that. We see where the priority is, and I guarantee you that's why you're feeling pressure right now because you're trying to carry it on your own, and God never intended it to be that way. Put him first, and all these things will be provided for you. Amen? He'll meet your needs. So, so don't think that he's not big enough to handle that. If he can forgive some of the stuff that's in this room, he can handle your bills for sure. I, we, don't, we don't have to take time to go into that. We spend half a day talking about me. You know, God Almighty, if he can forgive Alabama fans, he can forgive. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying. All right, so, so um, let's, let's dive in for the next few minutes and, and look at um, how tithing pops up in Scripture. Because some people think, well, it's an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. Well, let's, let's dive through some, some Scripture, and we'll see what ground we land on with that. So uh, first thing I want to talk to you about, about tithing. You guys with me yeah. so far? All right, this is amazing stuff. Uh, tithing has literally been around since the beginning. Like six, since the beginning. Um, the first institution that God created was marriage, okay, between Adam and Eve, man and woman, man and woman, one man, one woman, married to each other. Um, and so he established that, and not too long after that, um, it's inferred strongly in Scripture that this principle of tithing was instituted and brought in. And I'll show you how it's literally been around from the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, um, this is amazing to me. So when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Anytime you see somebody bringing the best portions from the firstborn, okay, look, the first 10%, the best up, that's a tithe. That's a gift and an act of worship to the Lord. You've got Cain and you've got Abel bringing to the Lord a gift out of what they had. Now, Cain brought a tip. Abel brought a tithe. And if you read in there, you see how God responded to both of them. But right here at the beginning, now how did that happen? You're talking Adam and Eve's children. The first people ever created on earth, you had their children operating in the system of bringing back to God what he's brought into their lives. Where do you think they learned that from? Mama and daddy. Okay, so right there, you've got the first generation giving to the Lord. Um, jump over to Genesis chapter 14. Um, I love that most of, yeah, all of this stuff is on the screen. So, hey, media team, thanks for crushing it this morning. You guys are making a way to, to get this stuff out there. I love it. So Genesis 14, this is a little bit later on. This is Abram or Abraham, the guy that would be the father of the nation of Israel. Um, so this is before Israel. This is before Old Testament law with Moses and all this stuff. Um, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies. Abraham just won this big battle. And he, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered in that battle. Abraham was giving this to Melchizedek, who was the high priest of the temple at the time, okay? So he was giving it to the representative of the church. The tenth, the tithe, went to the temple or the church at that time before the Old Testament law. So tithing existed from the very beginning, 
from the very beginning of creation, before the Old Testament, going into the, the New Testament, tithing was, or the Old Testament rather, tithing was present and explained by the Old Testament law. Um, one of the biggest passages of Scripture to point this out, like we could dig into like the Levitical law that God gave Moses, but we don't have that kind of time, so I'm just going to give you the highlights that we have in the book of Malachi chapter 3. This is one of the best examples of the benefits of tithing. God's speaking, and he says, bring all the tithe. Everyone say, all the tithes. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food or there will be enough food in my temple. So again, here's where God's saying, bring the tithe so that the church can be provided for, so that it can function is what he's saying. Um, So bring the tithes, all the tithes, not a tip, but a tithe to the temple. If you will do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will, now check this out, open the windows of heaven for you I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. He says, if you will give, I will return a blessing to you. Here's here's the deal. God knows that if we put him first, then our heart is in a posture of submission to him, right? So when we give that tithe and we say, here's the tenth representative of all that I have that is submitted to you, he knows our heart is right before him. And he says, if your heart is right before me, then I know no matter how much I bless you, your heart is going to be in a posture to give back to me and to my kingdom. So I know that no matter how much I bless you with, I don't have to, one, worry about you falling because of pride. Two, I don't want to worry about you spending all the stuff on yourself because you're selfish. You're showing me that I'm first so I can trust you now to be a funnel by which to flow through I will bless you so that you can give and then be a blessing to others that's how God wants to operate in your life he doesn't give to us so that we can become wealthy he gives to us so that we can be more impactful for his kingdom while we're on this earth and he wants to just use us as a funnel to transfer that blessing to his kingdom and to others ultimately so people can be impacted and come to know him. Amen? That's what it's all about. So that's why he says, give, and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Then he says this. This, this is just a gangster move to me. He goes, put me to the test. If you've got any doubts, put me to the test. Try me out. Try me out. If you don't think I'll do this, bet is what he's not doing. I will keep my word, I guarantee you. Put me to the test on this, is what he's saying. Then he says, your crops will be abundant, for I will, holy smack, guard. Guard. He's not just blessing us, but he says, I will guard your stuff. In other parts of Scripture, says that he will rebuke the devourer on our behalf. That's an amazing promise right there. What does that mean, Pastor Josh? That if you put him first, not only will he bless you, but your stuff's going to be protected and last longer. Amazing. And I told you last week, I got a truck that I can't kill. It's got 460-something thousand miles on it. That's a blessing of God, and that baby's paid for, and I love it. I love it. So I could use a little bit more of that in my life personally. Man, guard me. So he says, I got you covered. I got you covered. That is so reassuring. And all we have to do is submit to him. And then he covers us. There's a condition 
there's obedience, and then there's a blessing in the promise that comes after that. So, so that's laid out in the Old Testament. Um, I hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's Old Testament stuff, Pastor Josh. Jesus never really talked about tithing, and so I'm really going to go on what Jesus said. And I got news for you. Jesus said a little bit about giving and um, where we should give our tithes to. Um, here's something looking at the life of Jesus. Because How many of you trust what Jesus says? Yeah. How many of you would trust what Jesus does? Yeah, if you can't trust that, we're in trouble, right? We need to just pack up and go home, for real. So Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't stop others from giving tithes and offerings. That's big because when Jesus saw some shady stuff going on in the temple, what did he do? He, he, got, he made a whip, and he just started beating on people and said, get out of here, you know, the money changers and all that. So when the Pharisees did something out of line, did Jesus just walk by passive, or did he just bow up and tell them the truth? You know what I mean? He bowed up and told them the truth. And here's Jesus in a temple while people were giving. Jesus sat down in Mark chapter 12, at verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, watched as the crowds dropped in their money. They're bringing their offerings to the temple. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part out of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Not only did he not stop it, but he made a teaching point out of it for his disciples. All right, so that's one thing. I'm looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus let other people support his ministry. He let other people support his ministry. A lot of people don't realize this. Luke chapter 8 Starting in verse 2, it says, Along with some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. Okay, so these just aren't small-time people. That's Herod's business manager in this group. Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Jesus didn't keep people from giving to him. Now, this is Jesus who, on one occasion, when it came time to pay his taxes and they didn't have a lot of extra money, he told the disciples, uh, go catch some fish and reach in the fish's mouth and there's going to be some gold coins in the fish's mouth. They pulled out the coins from the fish's mouth and paid taxes. Now, Jesus can get his taxes paid from a large-mouthed bass. Understand what I'm saying? Why would he then allow people to contribute to his ministry if he could have it provided for supernaturally just like that if he wanted? Why? Because of the principle of giving, the principle of sowing and reaping, because he knew by sowing into his ministry, they could reap the benefit of his ministry. Jesus didn't even stop that from happening because he understood how it worked. Now, here's... To me, this is, this is a big one. Um, Jesus said we should tithe. Jesus said we should tithe. Now, stop for a second and think about that. If Jesus said we should do it, do you think we should do it? Yeah, and here's why. Do you think Jesus said we should do it because it's a mean rule that has to be enforced in our lives? Or do you think that Jesus encouraged us to do it because he wanted us to have life and have it to the full. 
that he wanted to see the blessing of God unleashed in our lives so that we could see this principle of blessing and protection working in our lives so that his temple or his church could be provided for so that we could reach people for God. I think that's probably the deeper reason. It's crazy sometimes how the enemy will sow lies and deceptions, especially regarding finances in the church, to try to keep a church financially crippled because he's scared to death of what a financially strong church can do in a community. I'm just telling you right now, resources mean ministry happening on another level in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking, and he says in Matthew 23, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! Jesus just could turn a phrase of love sometimes when it comes to dealing with Pharisees. He says, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest amount from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He not only talks about tithing, but he does it in such a way, he's like, he talks about it like it's basic. It's like, yeah, you should tithe. But listen, don't neglect the more important things. It's crazy. It's almost like that's first grade Christianity. That's first grade stuff. Don't neglect that, yeah, but don't neglect this other stuff either. Jesus said we should tithe. Everybody say this. This is going to set you free. Jesus said we should tithe. It's amazing. No one burst into flames saying that. It's just amazing to me. Um, so you see it before the Old Testament law. You see it in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament law. You see it in the New Testament. You see it in Jesus' ministry. Um, let's look at what the early church was doing. There's a deeper principle here that I want to get to. There's more to giving than just giving. There's more to giving than just giving as an act of spiritual discipline, even though that benefits our lives. Jesus came so we could go a little bit deeper than that. So looking at the early church, you see that the early church practiced a lifestyle of generosity. What they gave wasn't just given to churches or temples. It was given there, but it was, they went above and beyond. As you can see in Scripture in Acts 2, um, starting in verse 44, it says, All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Holy cow. That's just amazing to me. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 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 Because something had changed. In the new church, you see, it's not about the letter of the law. Did they tithe? Yeah, they tithe. Did they give to the temple? Yeah, they gave to the temple. Did they pay their taxes? Yes, they did. But something happened inside of them that sparked a level of generosity that really hadn't been seen historically until this point in history. And in Acts 4, uh, looking at verse 32, this is amazing to me. Um, it says, all the believers were united in heart and in mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. Boy, that's a huge statement. And a huge statement. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. They were, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them 
and bring the money to the apostles and, get, and give to those in need? I just want to hit pause right there and say, what was going on in this church? They weren't just giving. They were liquidating assets and bringing the money to these people. For, there was something motivating them on a different level. It was amazing. For instance, in verse 36, there was Joseph, the one of the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. Not that we needed to know all that, but here's what we need to know. It says, he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Something was happening here. Something was happening here. There was a level of generosity that was unlocked in the early church that was game-changing. And I would say that we saw the impact and the surge from the early church, that early church that flipped the empire of Rome upside down inside of a hundred years and infiltrated the government so that, so that uh, Caesar himself became a Christian and declared Rome a Christian empire. The Christians that were persecuted for even whispering the name of Jesus turned the entire empire of Rome into a Christian empire. They were, they were a force to be reckoned with because of the Holy Spirit in their life, but there was a level of generosity that funded ministry on a level that allowed it to just go like wildfire, guys. It was unreal, and I think it comes back to what's written in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 24, Paul's writing this, and he says, Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came, and it protected us until we could make, or until we could be made right with God through faith. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die on the cross just to help us follow the Ten Commandments better. He died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that we could become what the Bible calls a new creation, where the old is gone and the new has come. But the work that Jesus did in the early church, with the work that he does in our lives, see, there's a transformation that takes place once you come into contact with Jesus. And it's like, you know, the Old Testament says, don't murder. That's a, that's a good practice, especially Thursday afternoon at work. Don't kill people, you understand what I'm saying? So you shall not commit murder. So we had the law that said, it's not okay to kill people. Listen, because laws exist for people who break the laws. Yeah, there are speed limits on interstates to keep people who don't understand how to drive responsibly in check. See, if you're a responsible driver, you don't need a sign that tells you you can't go faster than 70 miles an hour. But the cops will let us go 10 over. You deal with the cop when he pulls you over, and y'all can work that out, okay? But you understand what I'm saying. Old Testament law existed for that reason and to expose the fact that we can't do it on our own. Jesus comes in and makes a transformation and he says, I don't want you to not just practice not killing people. I want to deal with what's in here. And I want to see a transformation here. I want to get inside of you and I'm going to, I'm going to take that anger and that rage and that hate and that resentment and that unforgiveness that's driving all of that and I want to do a work inside of you 
and make you a new creation in me so that you're so full of love that that's not even a thought anymore. I want, I want to do something inside of you that produces the fruit that keeps you away from having to be held accountable by the law. See what I'm saying? But I said Jesus um, came to fulfill the law, but he came to do a work in us to make us a reflection of him so our heart towards others reflects the heart of our Father in heaven. And especially when it comes to generosity, he says, I don't want y'all to be bound up by a rule in the Bible that says you should tithe or you should put me first. That's, I don't want that to be your motivation. I died on the cross to transform that in you so that you have a heart of generosity just like my father had a heart of generosity and was motivated to send me to die for your sins. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave he gave his son. So he says, I want that giving spirit in you as a byproduct of what I've done inside of you, not because a pastor says you have to do it. Or not because somebody says, it's a law, you got to live. No, I want you to be so transformed inside of me. And this is why we see such explosive and unreal generosity in the early church. Can you imagine what churches would look like if people drew close to Jesus and let him work in their hearts and we actually released control of ourselves to him and said, you're in control of it all because you're really Lord of it all. I'm not just going to shout in church and say you're Lord of it all, but I'm going to hold back on my finances. I'm not going to say you're Lord of it all and still carry around unforgiveness in my heart. But if we really gave it all to him and we began to produce that fruit of love and forgiveness and generosity, can you imagine how fast the church could turn this country upside down by just letting Jesus do what he wants to do in our lives? That's why we do this. That's why we do this. Some quick hits on giving. And I'm going to get you guys out of here. Look, it's an act of worship and honoring to God. When we give, we're putting him first. Here's the benefit. We get peace when we do it. When we do it, we know he's in control and he's going to keep his word because we put him first. How many of you could use a little more peace in your finances? You know what I'm saying? Put him first. Put him first and trust him to do what he said he would do. Amen? Um, and, and when we do that, we receive his blessing. So we get peace, which is priceless. Then we get his blessing. And to me, this is the biggest benefit of us putting the Lord first in our finances. The gospel advances. The gospel advances. That's what it's all about. Showing him that he's first so that he can bless us, so that we can become a bigger blessing to others and his kingdom. How many of you would love to be able to be a bigger blessing to others in the kingdom of God? Yeah. Hands go up everywhere. Listen, it starts with a simple step. We got to put him first. We got to put him first. He's got to have it all. He, he's got to be Lord of it all. Lord of it all. And maybe some of us need to take that step today. Let's all stand this morning as we get ready to close in service. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, for the power of your presence that's been in operation here today and for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, for this reminder of what you've already put in place to help us, to help us, Lord, in getting control of our finances. So many of us, 
we, we have trouble getting rhythm with this thing because first things aren't first and we need to put you first and to activate that principle that nobody else in this world has but your church, your followers, Father. You put this in place for us to unleash, to, to unleash blessing in our lives, to bless others. We've got to start seeing ourselves as funnels where you pour out your blessing from your kingdom and it flows straight through us because it's not ours, it's yours. It's yours, Father. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Just search your own heart right now. We've been talking a lot about finances today, but maybe there's another part of your heart that has not submitted to the Lord. Maybe you've got unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe there's fear in your heart today. You got We've got to get to the place where we submit all of that to Jesus. And I know that's easy for me to say. It takes faith to take that step. So I don't want to belittle that. Because I know the decisions being made today are big decisions and game changers in many of our lives. And I believe the Lord will equip you to make that transition as you're taking that step. But we have to take the step. It's our job first to be obedient to the Word of God. And after that, then the promises and the blessings are unlocked. We have to be obedient first. And part of the frustrations that many of us are probably facing in our finances is because we're not being obedient to what the Lord has said. So Father, we choose in this moment to put you first in our lives, to put you first in our finances, put you first in areas of forgiveness, to put you first in areas of trust. Lord, we put you first. You're in control. Lord, we submit to you right now. God, we repent. If there's areas of our lives that we've held on to thinking we could do a better job of it than you, Lord, forgive us for that. Honestly, that, that short-sightedness, Lord, you know better than us what you want to do with the things you've entrusted us with. Lord, we lay this all at your feet. God, I thank you for the decisions that are being made today, Lord, for the promises, the blessings that are being unlocked because of this obedience that's happening right now, Father. Lord, it's, it's my heart, and I know it's your heart that we all participate in this because at the end of the day, we either trust you or we don't. Lord, I pray that we're a church, that we're a people, that we're individuals that trust you. And if we're still kind of on the fence with it, Lord, remind us of where you said in your word that we could put you to the test. So Lord, maybe there's some of us here today that are gonna put you to the test in this. And I know, I already know, you're gonna blow them away with what you do. God, I give you glory and I give you praise for hearts that are fully submitted to you, that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give God praise for the word this morning. So, so we've looked at some good budgeting wisdom from the Word of God. We just talked about a game-changing principle in your finances. If you put this to work, things are begun, they're going to begin to streamline. So I gave you some homework last week. How many of y'all were able to figure out what your baseline budget was in your, in your own finances? Anybody do that? We were going to, Pastor, but Monday happened. I get it. I get it. Listen, you need to figure out what that baseline budget is because that's the next step. God first, figure out that budget. You'll get things under control next week. We're gonna go another step with this 
and dig a little bit deeper into giving. I got some great strategies from the Word of God that's going to help you be in a great position for success in your finances. All right? It's going to be a great one to invite people to. Word of God's always beneficial. Amen? How many of y'all are enjoying this so far? Yeah? All right. There's a lot of freedom in this. Let me pray over you one more time. Let's get out of here. Father, again, thank you for who you are, for the truth of your word, for the power of your presence that moved so strong earlier today. Lord, we thank you. None of us deserve it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for being everything that we need. We just got to put you first. Now let us go out of here today and put this word into action and impact somebody's life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week online.